Welcome to the Legacy House Podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. All right, if you've got your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to spend a little time this morning. And uh, today we're going to talk about fasting. It's part two of our Woke series. And uh, we've just been kind of uh, highlighting at the end of this year and going into 2017, not just the things that God has done, but the things that God is going to do. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God isn't through doing things, uh, that he's not through moving, that he's not through speaking, that it wasn't just something that was contained to the Old Testament. I went to... um, uh, a, a, a local private school here in, in Pensacola, and I remember uh, one of my Bible teachers told me one day uh, that the Holy, Steer- the Holy Spirit had stopped moving and speaking the way that he did in the New Testament. And I raised my hand and I asked him, I said, so when exactly in the New Testament did the Holy Spirit stop moving? He said, well, that stopped with the New Testament church. And I raised my hand again, I was like, but I thought, we were the New Testament church. And, and it's interesting because what we can begin to do is, if we're not careful, is we can begin to confine God just to the pages inside of our Bible. And once we get to the end of Revelation and we, we kind of wrap up that whole moment, we can kind of leave the Lord, so to speak, right there, where it's like, well, that's great that he moved then like that, but God still wants to move like that in our lives today. And, uh, and so we've seen God do a lot over the last year. Like we said, if this is your first time here with us today, um, this is probably one of your first times ever hearing about Legacy House. And you might know a couple people who know about Legacy House, or you might probably know no one who knows about Legacy House. And uh, we're a church that just launched on September 18th. And it's just amazing to see what God is already doing uh, in our midst. And we're spending these 31 days together as a church because we believe that it's important, not that we just um, go to the same church together, but we believe that it's important that we create an opportunity for God to move and to speak inside of all of our lives, that we really kind of set aside some time, that we isolate some time on a daily basis so that we can hear God move and speak inside of us. Uh, This last week, we talked about prayer in our 31-day devotional, and this week, we want to look at the, the, the idea and the biblical concept of fasting. Um, there's a lot of things that we talk about when we hear about fasting uh, that we, we, we misunderstand really what fasting is. Um, I, I just will let you know right now, I personally in my flesh uh, am not the hugest fan of fasting. Why? Because I love to eat. Uh, and I, the only thing worse um, than loving to eat is someone restricting what you eat. Uh, and, and, and what happens is you kind of find the spot where, uh, uh, you can, you can almost begin to label fasting as just a religious tradition. It's an old Testament principle. We live under the new covenant, the new Testament. Jesus died so that I wouldn't have to fast. Amen. He wants me to eat all the cheesecake, uh, that I can possibly handle and contain in my spirit. Uh, no, that, that's probably not the case, but fasting is more than just an old Testament principle. Fasting is more than just some archaic concept meant to deny you of something that you really want. But really, it's more than that. It's a willful dedication to what God is wanting to do. We often miss the fact that, or the link between the fact of what God is doing and what God wants to do. Often we feel like God isn't doing a lot, and what we don't realize is God wants to do everything. 
We can stand over here and it sounds like the heavens are brass. We pray prayers that feel like they don't get answered. We have needs that seem like they're not met. And then all of a sudden, we have a disconnect mentally that, that this must be what God wants to do. God must not want to bless me. God must not want to speak to me. God must not have the answer for my situation. But what we miss in the midst of everything, in the midst of our life, our flesh, our mind, is we miss the fact that God wants to do so much more. But often we haven't dedicated, separated, and given God some of our time to say, Lord, I believe that if I hand this over to you, you can do more in a moment than I could do in the next year. The Bible says that a year is as a thousand days, and a, sorry, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day in the presence of the Lord. Which means and lets me know that in a moment, God could literally change everything in my life and yours. What is the thing today that you've been asking the Lord for the answer on for years? Because today could be the day that God gives you that answer. Today could be the moment where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God speaks something that you've been waiting for forever. But what happens is, is often in our lives, we don't quiet ourselves and quiet our spirit enough to hear what God really wants to say. So we're going to talk a little bit today about fasting. And uh, in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to highlight a couple things from the scripture because we believe uh, here at Legacy House that the Word of God is not just a really great book. Uh, it doesn't match the, the comparison of, of C.S. Lewis. Uh, you, hear some, you hear a lot of millennials, like they reference C.S. Lewis like theology. Um, and it's not theology, he's just a really good writer. Uh, and the Word of God is not just another great allegory um, written on some literary platform, but really what it is is it's the living, breathing Word of God. It, it, is, it is the context in which our life is lived and the, and the way our life is operated through. Okay, Genesis, sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Now, often when we're fasting and we get really hungry, we think this must not be the Lord. Uh, I, I was on a fast when I was an intern this one time, and um, everybody was doing the Daniel fast, and we're going to have some different resources available to you. Um, we're not telling you what to fast, um, because that would be a little strange. Uh, but we want you to fast something. We're encouraging you over the next seven days to fast something. Uh, it could be social media. It could be uh, an activity, a hobby. It could be food. Um, but please let it be something that is challenging. It says that Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was tempted by the devil. And it says that he became very hungry. Uh, when I was an intern, we all went to Olive Garden one night, and there was about 25 of us, and they were doing the Daniel fast, so I think they were getting soup and salad. Um, and I am a creative faster. Uh, if, you, if you want to have a strict fast, don't fast with me uh, because I get to a molecular level of the food and I'm like, there's grain in this. And the Daniel fast is about grain. And so anyways, the Daniel fast is kind of like everything that kind of comes from the ground, so to speak. And uh, that's a very broad sweeping thing there. But uh, we, went to, we went to Olive Garden and in a matter of about 15 minutes, I convinced myself why I could eat fettuccine Alfredo on the Daniel fast. Look, 
You can have dairy on the Daniel fast. That fettuccine sauce or that Alfredo sauce, that's dairy, folks. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to just get the regular noodles. I'll get the whole grain Alfredo noodles because I don't want to break this fast. And so I, I sat there and had um, uh, fettuccine Alfredo. And then we got to the end. They're all eating salads and, and, and dessert. Oh, sorry, salad and soup, living under condemnation in the law. And I'm living under grace. And, and uh, no, I'm just playing. But uh, I'm, seriously, though, everybody's eating soup and salad. And uh, I'm I'm sitting down at the end eating fettuccine Alfredo, uh, feeling good about myself and this fast that I'm on. Then we get to the end, and I'm still hungry. So, I, you know, I understand that, that, that berries are on the Daniel fast, and when you get a skin cheesecake, that's got berries on it. And so here I somehow in my brain convinced myself that fettuccine Alfredo chased by a strawberry cheesecake was really within the context of a Daniel fast. Folks, that is not the case at all. Uh, but what happened was I began to try to reason with myself of why what I wanted really fitted in, fit inside of what God was trying to do. And often in our lives, we live that way. We live in the way where we think that really what we want must fit inside of what God wants to do inside of our life. But what if what God wants to do is outside of the thing that we want? What if the things that God wants to do and wants to speak and wants to reveal to you in your life is outside of what is comfortable to you? We almost have begun to live, we've almost began to live a very passive and a very weak Christianity because we think that almost anytime something gets hard, it must not be the Lord. Anytime the situation gets rough and difficult, God surely would not lead me through this. There's no way. There's no way because God loves me and he sent his son to die for me. And he sent his son to die for you so that when you did walk through tough seasons, he would be more than enough to help you. The Bible doesn't say that when we face temptation um, that he will leave us and forsake us. But the Bible says that there'll be nothing that we'll, we'll walk to, nothing that we'll experience, nothing that we'll, be, that we'll encounter that will be too great for us. The Lord knows where we are and often, Often we can begin to compromise and we can begin to settle and we can begin to determine what God really must be wanting to do in my life rather than just listening. It's interesting when you listen because this is going to be profound. Prepare yourself. You can hear things that you wouldn't normally hear. I, I, when I get uncomfortable, I'll begin to talk. When I get nervous, I begin to talk. When I get excited, I begin to talk. There's a pattern here in my life. I talk most of the time. But what I've learned is, is that there's moments where if I will just kind of quiet myself before the Lord intentionally, I can begin to hear God speak and move in ways that I would have never imagined. I think if we could really go through this next seven days, and as a body of, of people, human beings, we can begin to quiet ourselves before the Lord. I believe that there's things that God has been giving us the answers to for a long time now, but we just haven't been still enough to listen to it. You know, quietness is kind of uncomfortable. I preached a, uh, at a summer camp for our high school ministry one time and got about halfway through my sermon and this preach flops. They just, <laughs> it was real bad. Uh, if you've ever preached before, you understand that sometimes you just preach flops. They just go really, really bad. I heard an old guy say one time, he said, preaching's like starting a campfire. If you try for 30 minutes and can't get it going, just shut it down and walk away. And I was trying to get this message going and I felt so passionate about it and I had studied so long for it and it just was not going anywhere. And I literally just sat down on the stage 
I was like, I, have, I don't, not like Indian style. I didn't like pout. I didn't like curl up into the fetal position. But I was like, you know what? I felt like I was just trying to say so much. I wasn't actually saying what was in my heart at all. I was trying to say everything and just uh, lay it all out there that I really wasn't saying the things that mattered. So I just sat down and I said, look, we're just going to talk like we're in my living room. And if we were sitting across from each other and we were sitting at a Starbucks, we are sitting on a couch, we are sitting wherever, this is what I would say. I believe God wants to slow down the moments of our life to get us to a point in place that's sometimes almost uncomfortable and can almost feel unnatural in our relationship with the Lord, but where we just sit and wait for him. Let me read a few verses to you here out of Matthew chapter 4. It says, Jesus was led into the spirit, led into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people did not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse five, it says, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, jump off. The scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded and he said, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of the, a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He says, I will give it all to you. If he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Verse 10, it says, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Can we just pray this morning? Father, we thank you today. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your word is living and real. God, I pray that it would penetrate, Lord, our hearts and our lives today. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us. Lord, let these words be your words today. And Father, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Here's the story, right? So Jesus goes out and he's being led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. And when he gets there, he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that period of time, the enemy comes in and he begins to tempt and begins to test uh, Jesus. He begins to throw things in front of him to see what his response would be. Now, here's the very first and a very integral thing for us to all understand inside of the room. The very first thing that we have to understand is the fact that he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Often we can think that the wilderness seasons of our life are seasons that are a result of something bad rather than a precursor to something good. Often we can think that the fasting is really just this almost oppressive thing that we have to do to break the back of the flesh in our life, but really it's a setup for what God wants to do next. It's interesting because you find it in the Word time and time again where the Spirit of God led somebody into the wilderness. But here's what happens, is that we have the opportunity to respond once we get to the wilderness. I heard a, a preacher say one time, he said, don't make a permanent mistake in a temporary wilderness. Literally, probably my favorite quote of all time. Do not make a permanent mistake in a temporary wilderness. The picture of that is the children of Israel. The journey from where they were in Egypt to the promised land, most people believe, was about a two and a half week walk. They wound up spending the next 40 years wandering around the wilderness. The Spirit of God led them into the wilderness, but their flesh determined the outcome of the wilderness. So the Spirit led them to that place. He was the one who said, look, it's time to go. Like, we need to lead these children out of Egypt. I've got a plan, a promise, a promised land that's bigger for you than all of this. So he led them into that place. But then once they got there and they began to be met with opportunities to quit, they decided to do just that. 
they were frustrated, they complained, they were angry, they didn't like Moses, they didn't like Aaron, they didn't like anybody. Didn't matter what God did, didn't matter if he struck the rock, if he parted the Red Sea, if manna came down from heaven, did not matter. Why? Because they were in the wilderness and they were frustrated because the God they knew would have never led them to this place. You understand that he had just led them out of slavery. They were just in bondage and in captivity. And sometimes we would rather stay in bondage than to step out in faith. Really, that's what the children of Israel were saying was, they were saying we would have rather stayed in bondage than to have to take a step of faith and believe and trust that as I go, God will lead me. As I move, God will move with me. It's much easier to remain in a place where you are stuck than to step out in a place where you feel like you are walking into a land that you have no idea what the outcome is. It's like when you go ice skating and you're horrible at ice skating. Anybody horrible at ice skating in here? Okay, a few of us. When you go, when you go ice skating and you're bad at ice skating, you look ridiculous out there ice skating. Your legs are all over the place. Um, and you always, you have a lot of different people, like a lot of settings in life, but you have the people who like think that they're really good at things. You ever seen that person who's like, really, they're really good at ice skating? They're the funnest person to ice skate with ever um, because they, like the first thing they do when they hit the ice is they want to get up a lot of speed and show you how fast they can go. And it is only a matter of time before they wipe out. Uh, because it, it, it's, it's something that they're really not that skilled at. And what happens in the children of Israel's life was they begin to believe somewhere along the line that they were smarter than God. They begin to believe that there's no way, no way God would have led me into this wilderness. Jesus is led out by the Spirit of God, and over the next 40 days, he begins to be tempted by the enemy. We see three specific things here inside of this scripture that where the enemy directly comes to the Lord and he throws something in front of him that in a lot of regards makes sense because he's quoting scripture back to him. See, the enemy knows scripture just like you know scripture. That's the importance of you knowing what your word says because sometimes the enemy can quote things to you that are from the word of God but are not the right thing for you. Very quiet in this Methodist church. Uh, it's like, oh, geez, I grew up Methodist. Uh, it's okay. We love the Methodist. John Wesley, amen. Uh, but what happens is, is we find ourselves in this spot where we can begin to wander out and we begin to know some of the word, but not all of the word. And some of the word is like, is dangerous outside of its context. Some people know just enough of the word to really hurt somebody. Some people know just enough of the word to not grow. Some people know just enough of the word to hold everybody at arm's length. Some people know just enough of the word that they don't need a circle or a small group. They don't need to serve. They, they, don't, they don't need to, because we know just enough of the word. I've got two things for you today that I believe that we can find. And there's so many more things you could say about fasting. I had a hard time really narrowing it down and landing on a couple things. But there's two things that, just for us as a church, but really even beyond that, uh, in our lives as believers, I believe are important for us that we find from fasting. The first thing is this. The first thing that fasting does is fasting, we fast for focus. We fast for focus. Jesus did this. Why? Because before Jesus could go into his full-time ministry, he had to be led into the wilderness. I know a ton of people, and I have been there myself, where I have missed the fact that the wilderness was really setting me up for the thing that I wanted. But a lot of people get into that moment, and they begin to get frustrated. They begin to get frustrated because, God, I thought I was going to preach to this. I thought I was going to sing to this. Lord, I thought I was going to do all these amazing things. Lord, I thought you were going to take me to the nations. I thought you had everything in store for me. 
But what we missed is the fact that if Jesus, before he started his ministry, had to spend some time in the wilderness, how much more true is that for us? If God needed some time to make sure he was ready for what lied ahead of him or laid ahead of him, how much more is it important for us that we prepare before God throws us in to the thing that he has for us? God would rather delay your call than to throw you in there prematurely and let you fail. God would rather slow some things down in your life and say, guess what? I know you're great. I love you. You're gifted. You're beautiful. All of these things. It's awesome, but you're not ready. You know the most difficult thing to tell people is? That is your call, but you're not ready. Because none of us want to hear that inside of our flesh. We live in an instant gratification culture. If you want anything, good, bad, or indifferent, you can have it right now if you decide that you want it right now. The problem is that's not the nature of the kingdom of God. That's not the time frame in which God moves. So I'm going to look at a few things. So we fast for focus. And I believe that there's even some areas that we have to ask God over these next seven days and really over this entire year for God to begin to focus us in. The first thing you see down there where Jesus in verse 4 or verse 3, it says, But during that time he came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first area that the Lord wants to focus you in is in your appetite. Your appetite. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Not just physically or in your flesh, but spiritually. What are you hungry for? Because the very first thing, isn't it interesting? The very first thing that the enemy tested the Lord with or came and tempted the Lord with was his own appetite. He said, look, hey, I know you're hungry. Been out here a long time, man. And you know what? Um, Why don't you turn these stones into loaves of bread? You can do it. You're God. You're going to do it later in your ministry career. I know it. I believe it. I can see it in you. You're going to make food appear. Why don't you just go ahead and start now? He says, look, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Our appetite determines our source. And what happens is, is when our appetite is wrong, our source is wrong. When our appetite is off, our, our, our source is off. And we can begin to feed from things and on things that won't provide health in our life, but will begin to hurt in our lives. Then he says, look, hey, why don't you just take these things, why don't you just turn these loaves, these, these stones into bread, and everybody will be great. Everybody loves bread. I love bread. I'm sure Jesus loved bread. But it was bigger than that because he decided and knew that inside of him there was something that had to be willing to say, look, I'm not going to be driven by what I want to eat, but I'm going to be driven by what I need. Today, for all of us, when we examine the appetites of our life, are our appetites what we want or are our appetites what we need? And the Bible says that our body is the temple. And it's easy to judge a lot of things. And it's easy to condemn a lot of things. And it's easy to call the sin that is egregious sin, sin. Well, what about the way that we take care of ourselves? No one likes to talk about that inside of the church. But the world sees that as a major flaw inside of us. We'll call homosexuality sin. We'll call, you know, a couple who are sleeping together before they're married. We'll call that sin. 
we'll call lying, we'll call adultery, we'll call murder, we'll call pornography, we'll call a lot of things sin. But the Bible makes it clear that the way that we take care of ourselves in our own fleshly appetite, if it doesn't line up with him, it's sin. It's crazy. Because God cares about you enough to care about the way you take care of yourself. God cares about you enough to know that this body and vessel that he has given you is the vehicle in which you're going to accomplish the mission that he has for you. And if you're tired, if you're weak, if you're worn out, if you're run down, if you're not rested, if you're not ready, then when the opportunity comes, we can miss it. You know, we said last week, for those of you who weren't here, we said last week that we don't rest from ministry, we rest for ministry. Some people rest from ministry. It's not biblical. You've been called to rest for ministry. Because the life that you have, the breath that you have, you only have because of the gracious nature of who God is. Because he said, you can breathe again, and you can breathe again, and you can breathe again, and over and over you woke up today because he let you wake up. Not because you had a Luna bar yesterday. I'm sorry if you did. That was a horrible day for you, I'm sure. But it's not, it, it, it's not because you're vegan and it's not because you love quinoa and it's not because you only drink sparkling water and Perrier is the best sparkling water. It's, it's not because of that. I told somebody, you know how you can tell sparkling water is good, not that you care. It's if you drink a little bit of it, hold it in your mouth and it feels like it's just destroying the inside of your mouth. That's the sweet spot. That's how you know, right, where you are for sparkling water. Uh, it doesn't matter any of that. Look, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter if you, you super like, are super into kale chips. Like, why are you into kale chips? No one really likes that. We know you don't like it. It tastes like vinegar and like old socks. Like, no one, no one wants those things. But it doesn't matter, right? It, 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 that if all of that happens inside of our life, if all of that happens inside of our life, if we've controlled the appetite of our flesh, but we haven't controlled the appetite of our spirit, really what good is it doing? Because he didn't just say, hey, look, no, I brought my own lunch. That is not what he said. He's not like, no, I don't need rocks. I actually got a sandwich over here. I'm totally good. He said, no, I don't live by food alone, but I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He said, look, I, I, my appetite isn't even food-based. I'm I'm living a life that is dedicated to and is sold out to what God wants for me. I don't know about anybody else in the room, but I know that that is still a work in progress in my own life. That I can look at it and I can say, God, I can see where you've brought me from, but I can still see where I need to go. God today, I truly, truly believe, wants to begin to focus our appetite. Look down a little bit further. Verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, If you are the Son of God, then jump off. So the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you. They will hold up your hands so even you won't hurt your foot on a stone. Then Jesus responded to him. He said, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. The second area that the Lord wants to begin to bring into focus is not just your appetite. Secondly, it's your attitude. It's your attitude. He says, hey, I took him up to the holy city of Jerusalem, and he begins to quote scripture to him once again. It is so unfortunate how many believers stumble right there. As soon as the enemy begins to quote scripture, we just don't know what to do. We get confused, we get sidetracked, and we're left just kind of standing somewhere, beaten up on the very first punch. 
But what Jesus did is so true, and he did it all three of these times. He came right back to him with what the scriptures also said. I love that. He said, yeah, you're right. The scriptures do say that, but the scriptures also say this. It says, you must not test the Lord your God. We have to begin to allow our attitude to become into focus. Where we say, look, Lord, I need you to begin to rearrange some things inside of me. Basically, what he was just asking Jesus to do was just to simply show off. All of these things were really that, was to cast himself to jump off of the temple and watch the, the angels come and rescue you. Really what he was applying himself or he was beginning to, to attach himself to was, is you are God, right? Like, so since you're God, there's nothing that you can't do or shouldn't do. And so because of that, just do what you want. Jump off, the angels will catch you. And it's that very thinking that caused the enemy to be cast out of heaven in the first place. It's because he believed that there was no restriction for him. He believed, look, I, I, I'm a pretty great guy. What's different about me and him? Yes, he's God, but, but I'm, I'm also great. I'm also an angel. I, I also have a lot of power and authority. I, I, what, what makes him different? It's the same thing that tripped Adam and Eve up in the garden. It was all of a sudden there was something that they wanted that they didn't have. And how do I get the thing that I want if I don't have it? So I, attitude begins to shift. You begin to get frustrated. You begin to get bitter. You begin to get entitled. You know what? I, you're right. I can't I can jump off of this and the angels will catch me. Why? Because I'm God and they're my angels. They better catch me. We kind of go through our life with that mentality. Well, I, why would they not ask me to sing a song? Everybody knows I got a great voice. I'm the next Mariah Carey and I'm a guy. Like, like, you know, like whatever. Like, we, we can live this moment. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a greeter. I, I want to work in the parking lot. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to even want to serve. Like, I just want to show up and be fed in Jesus' name. Well, that's great. But guess what happens? In the same way that sometimes we just want to feed ourselves in the flesh, we want to feed ourselves in the spirit. And in the same way we can become obese in the flesh, we can become obese in the spirit. Because all we want is what we want. I deserve what I want. I've had a tough day. I need a cheeseburger. I felt like the Lord. That's the most, I felt the anointing. <laughs> but it's how we live our life. My God. You don't know what I've been walking through. I just need to unwind a bit. I'm going to just, at the sake of stepping on anybody's toes, so just hopefully you'll still love me after this. But any substance that you use to help yourself unwind that precedes going to the Lord is outside of his will for your life. Because the Bible says that anything that we supplement for him it's not right. It's not holy. We're not getting off into some whole big debate. Does God hate cheeseburgers? No, but does God hate cheeseburgers if that's what you use to soothe your attitude and to feed your appetite 100%? Does, does God hate fill in the blank? Well, he hates it if it's become your source. He hates it if it's supplemented his spirit in your life. That if the, after a long day when your kids have been crazy and your boss is annoying the bejesus out of you and you don't know what else to do, whatever it is that fills that moment, if it's not the Spirit of God, then I can promise you it's outside of the plan and purpose for your life. I don't say that to ruin your day. And I don't say that to make you have to go home and clean out your pantry. But I say it because he desires to be the source of our life. Jesus understood the fact 
that if I want to be who God is calling me to be, my attitude has to line up with the Lord. I cannot test God. I just have to trust God. Some of us want to test the call and we want to test our life and we want to test our marriage and we want to test our kids and we want to test our boss and we want to test everything. We miss what God really wants from us, which is trust. Trust that when you have a long day, the first thing that you do is that you get down before the Lord and you say, God, I, I need you today. My attitude has been crazy. My kids are driving me nuts getting puked on all the time, <laughs> like, like, whatever, like whatever your day looks like. We're like, God, I just, I don't know that I can do this. It's okay. He's okay with you saying that. He's okay with you going to him and saying, look, I, I don't know that I can do this anymore. It's better than going to Facebook and saying it. It's better than going to Twitter or Instagram. It's better than going to your friend. It's better than going to your, you know, your work husband or your work wife. It's better than going to any of those sources that are not the source that God has for you and saying, you know what, I just can't anymore. You know what that person's going to say back to you? You know what, if you quit, I wouldn't blame you. Like, you know, you're right. Like, because they're going to feed that inside of you. They're going to feed the attitude. The greatest people that you have in your life are the people who can look at you and say, hey, I love you enough to tell you that you're being an idiot. <laughs> serious. I know it sounds really like a joke, but serious. Who do you have in your life that can look you dead square in the eye, who can square up on you and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why, is you, why are you angry all the time? Well, why are you frustrated? I believe that for us in these next seven days, I believe that God wants to begin to focus our attitude. He does it through focusing our appetite because for me, it's like I can reveal who I am very quickly if I skip a couple meals. Like, well, I hate life. I hate everything about all this. I hate that TV. I hate this stupid stage. I hate these, what's the green tape about? So they can't move past the green tape? Like, you know, whatever. Like, you can begin to get real pessimistic real quick because your attitude's wrong, because you've taken the thing that I want, the thing that I'm hungry for. But here's what's funny is because when we begin to fast, all we're removing is we're moving every other synthetic thing from our life other than the one thing that can actually satisfy our life. That's all we're removing. We're not removing anything that can feed our spirit. We're only removing the things that feed our flesh. We're not removing anything that actually has eternal source and value inside of our heart and our life. We're only removing the things that will burn up and perish in a moment once this world is gone anyways. And so if we don't allow our appetite and our attitude to, fo to be focused, the devil, then we can very well miss the thing that God has for us. Okay, verse 8. It says, next the devil took him to, the, to a peak of a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, I will give it all to you. He said, if you kneel down and you worship me. Jesus responded and he said, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The third area that the Lord wants to bring focus is in our ambition. Our ambition. Here's what's crazy about all this. The enemy offered to give something to Jesus that he didn't have the authority or the ability to actually give away. He, he looked at him and he said, look, hey, we're on top of this very high mountain. Isn't this great? Here's the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. Isn't this splendorful? Not a word. Isn't this marvelous? It's a word. And so he began to look at all of these things. He said, look, you can have all of this. I will give this to you if you'll just simply kneel down and worship me. 
The enemy loves to lie to us to begin to make us believe and think the fact that he can give you something in the flesh that you could never receive in the spirit. He can begin to tell you that, you know what, if you just stay in this relationship a little bit longer, all you need to do is just continually evangelistically date. And one day he'll get his stuff together. The Bible says that that's being unequally yoked. Why? Because if you're setting a course in your life for one thing and they're setting their course in life for something else, guess what? Somebody's going to give. Somebody's going to compromise the dream. Somebody's going to compromise the vision and the call. Why? Because you are trying to give yourself something in the flesh that you cannot actually give yourself. Guess what? True happiness doesn't come from a relationship. It doesn't come from a great beige jacket. It doesn't come from your kids. It doesn't come from your car. It doesn't come from your family or your home. It doesn't come from being skinny. It doesn't come from being tall. It comes only from the Spirit of God. And anytime we try to source out our happiness and try to source out our emotions, we begin to find ourselves wanting and lost. Why? Because we're falling into the trap that all of the things are going to actually be the thing that makes me happy. That through these things God gives or the enemy tries to give and put in my life, then, then, then I'll actually be satisfied. I know a lot of people who slept with a lot of people before they got married. And the reason they continued to go through relationship after relationship after relationship was because they were never satisfied. As good as it was in the moment, it was gone the next day. As right as it felt right now, It was fleeting tomorrow. I love the fact that, the, that Jesus didn't just reach across and just slap the devil. I think, I think if this story would have been about me, I think that's what I would have done. And, this, and then the Lord slapped the devil. Like that's, like that's probably, that, I love it that he didn't just reach over and haul off and just smack the devil in the face. He said, look, nope. He said, uh, you must only worship the Lord your God. I love the verse where it says the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. <laughs> you have a hard time showing up at 7.15 in the morning to set up some pipe and drape? Remember the fact that Jesus, the Savior of the world, came to serve, not to be served. I love that no matter what we've walked through in our life and what we've experienced inside of our hearts and in our minds, I, I love that no matter what the struggle has been for you. Because there's been one, and that's okay. If we're willing to submit ourselves and allow it to come into the focus and to the leadership of the Lord. Okay, I'm gonna give you this last thing. Point number two, and we'll close, and I promise you, I'm gonna give this really fast. Matthew chapter six, Jesus is teaching his disciples here about fasting. He says, look, when you pray, he said, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. He said, I'll tell you the truth. This is all the reward they will ever get. But when you, go, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. And then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble as honest people and other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For the Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. And then Jesus goes on and he begins to say, he says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Let us not yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I love the line that says, 
Give us today the food that we need. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he begins to let them know really clearly. He says, look, guys, um, here's what we have to understand. We have to understand the fact that really what fasting is about is fasting is about not just focusing in these different areas, but fasting is also about fellowship. Fellowship. We fast not just for focus, but we also fast for fellowship. Jesus taught his disciples, he said, look, don't just go stand on the street corner and scream about me. He says, come and spend time with me. Don't just go tell everybody else, come and hear what I have to say. I believe that there's some things that begin to come out of a life of fellowship with the Lord. And I'm gonna give these to you really fast. First thing is this, is we begin to quiet ourselves before the Lord. The noise of our life just begins to kind of calm. When you fast, you begin to find your spirit being quieted before the Lord. We don't have anything else to say. You ever hear the phrase, quiet waters run deep? Often the person who talks a lot, self-indictment. Often the person who talks a lot doesn't often have a lot to say. That's what I ask myself a lot. When I'm talking, I'm going on and on. I'm like, I gotta make sure I've got something to say because I don't wanna just ramble on and babble on. I have to quiet myself before the Lord. The second thing I believe comes out of fellowship with the Lord is it begins to birth gratitude inside of our life. When we hear who God is, we begin to be thankful for who God is. When all of a sudden we begin to, wow, okay, that's what you want to do in my life? That's what you're speaking to me? That's what you can lead me through? That's what you can help me overcome? It begins to birth gratitude inside of us. The third thing is this, is that we begin to express thanksgiving. It's hard to be thankful for the things that we're not grateful for. If there's nothing you're grateful for, you're probably not very thankful as well. If you're not grateful that God did it, then you're not going to express the thanksgiving that's coming from your heart. You're not going to express that out of your spirit where you say, God, I'm so grateful for the fact that I get to live another day. God, thank you for the opportunity that I get to show up at 7.15. I love, you know what's awesome? And, and I don't want to just pick on people because then you know, you'll highlight specific people. We've got a lot of people who do it, but it's fun to me. It's, it's, it's encouraging to me. When I show up here at 7, 7.15 on a Sunday morning and you see people excitingly setting stuff up, getting ready for the day. People who are looking forward to it. Not people who have a, some people, some people have a problem to every solution. Some people, every solution you have, well, you know, but you know what the problem is with that. No, I don't know what the problem is with that, but I'm sure you will tell me. Like, some people have a problem for every single solution. And that can get tiring. But God is looking for us not just to be grateful, but to begin to express our thankfulness for the Lord. We begin to open up our mouth and we're like, God, thank you that you gave me the opportunity to wake up today, to begin to be the husband that you've called me to be, to be the father that you've called me to be. Lord, thank you that I get this opportunity and chance. Fourth thing is this, is that we begin to be grounded in faith. Faith isn't easy, but faith is, is vital to the life that God is calling you to. You have to be grounded in faith. Faith has to become a pattern of who you are. The band is going to come out and we're going to, we're going to close here, but the, the fifth and the final thing that begins to happen when we begin to walk in fellowship is not only that we're grounded in faith, but we begin to produce spiritual growth. It all starts, though, with being quiet before the Lord. Quiet in ourself before the Spirit of God and saying, Lord, what is it that you want to speak to me today? God, what is it that you have for me? We moved 
one of the youth ministries that we led when we, we got there, the first thing that we noticed was is that everyone in the, everyone in the ministry was, or, or a lot of people in leadership wound up just being an overall, there was an overall kind of over-encompassing nature of sarcasm. Everybody had something sarcastic to say to everybody. Like somebody could be like, hey man, I like your shirt. Like, well, I like your shirt. Like everything, like nothing, nothing could be serious. Like nothing, nothing was a, a moment. Everything was sarcastic. And what I began to realize was, is that sarcasm came from a root of insecurity. So people couldn't receive praise and they couldn't give praise because they felt unworthy to receive it and they felt too insecure to give it. Because I know who I really am, so when you tell me I'm doing a good job, I know that I'm really not doing a good job, so I, I can't. And I don't want to give praise away because if I give praise away, what if the one thing that I do want, which is validation and praise, I give it all away and then there's none left for me in the end anyways. You wind up living in this place of your life where it's just sarcastic. Nothing is serious. Everything that you say, like you'll take shots at people and, and you can't receive praise. You can't receive leadership because you're stuck in this moment of just insecurity. But I believe that as we come together as a church and as we fast and pray, I believe that today, whatever the struggle of your life has been, God can redeem and restore it. Your past isn't something that the Lord hangs over your head to remind you of who you used to be in case you ever forget. No. It's really a seed. A seed that can grow into something very healthy and life-giving. A seed that can grow into a plant that's full of thankfulness, praise, gratitude to the Lord. I don't know what God has led you through, but I know that in every wilderness moment, we have the opportunity to respond like the Lord or to respond like the children of Israel. The children of Israel, they had no focus. They had no fellowship. Their attitude was wrong. Their ambition was wrong. They were hungry for all the wrong things. They weren't quiet. They were always complaining. They weren't grateful for anything because they thought that the thing that they wanted was the thing that had been taken from them. They just were stuck. Today, I believe that we have an opportunity in a moment over these next few days. I wanna, I, I'm, I'm challenging you as your pastor. I'm asking you. Let's all fast something something that costs us, something that's uncomfortable because maybe the thing that's holding us back is not God and it's not time and it's not energy and it's not our resources or the money we have in our bank. Maybe the thing that's holding us back is just simply us. Maybe it's because we haven't quieted ourselves before the Lord and said, God, speak to me today. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life, or by following us on social media under the handle at LegacyHouseFL. Don't miss next week's podcast, From Our House to Yours.